beautiful thing that, whether you knew it or not, as a way of honoring Earth Day, you, uh, you came to sit tonight. Because to come to sit is to honor one of the Earth's most amazing creative expressions, uh, which is you. Without the Earth, there's no you. And perhaps without you, there would be no way to know the earth. So that we have this beautiful uh, sense of inner being with what we call the earth. But we often think of it as somehow separate from ourselves. When in fact, we are, we are made up of, of all of the elements that we find on this dear green planet. Earth, air, water, fire. And we are no different. And by coming to sit, we, and to sit in the middle of the earth, right where it touches us, we discover not just the idea of the elements of the earth, not just the idea of the earth, but the direct experience of being, being the earth. Feeling the hardness, the heaviness, feeling the pressure, feeling the, the coolness and the warmth feeling the vibration, the winds as they blow through our body. This is, this, is, uh, this is earth. And it's when we lose touch with the earth as it's expressed through this body, uh, we also, this also has the effect of losing touch with, uh, with that in us which is always connected, that in us which is always sitting in the middle of everything, not separate from. Uh, and is, there's a chronic tendency of mind, especially when we feel disconnected from our earth element, chronic tendency of mind is to think that somehow we've gotten separated from the earth, separated from that which is whole in us. And it's simply a movement of mind because the, as we know, as we know, the way the the, uh, the waves on the ocean that arise, the wave is never separate from the ocean. But somehow we think we're that one wave that's somehow gotten separated from the ocean, or we're that one expression of the earth that somehow has to find our way back to the earth, when really we have never, ever been apart from that earth element. It is only in our imagination that we've lost contact. So that just the simple act of stopping and keeping quiet for a moment, letting our mind then sink back into the body so that we feel these elements, something very primal, something very primary, something very natural and earthy begins to awaken, reawaken in us which is this feeling. And maybe I always like to consider the possibility that you can feel it right now, that you don't have to wait until uh, seven lifetimes. But that when you just stop and you keep quiet and you feel the expression of the earth and these, this felt experience of the elements, that you start to notice this quality of balancing, steadying, 
anchoring, smoothing. And I know for myself, and perhaps you sense it, that once you begin to feel this sense of balancing, anchoring, steadying, soothing, then it's much easier to accommodate all that takes place in both in your physical experience and in your emotional experience. And you're able to begin to notice uh, how far afield uh, your, um, your reactive mind goes. And from that place of balance, steadiness, there's no need to get rid of, of the different defilements of the mind or the the different habitual thoughts, we simply then can recognize our thoughts and our feelings, our reactions, all of our conditioning as further expression of our nature, of nature, uh, just more chaotic expression of nature. And we may also at the same time begin to notice that one of the, not one of the, but the essential nature, nature of our mind is absolute stillness, absolute steadiness. that it is really a part of the earth. The earth, as a, as a being, you could say, the earth accommodates everything that happens to it without a lot of reactivity. And it turns out that the very nature of our own mind is the same. So much goes on. So much chaos. So many unwanted thoughts, so many feelings, so many sensations, so many conditions that present themselves both in what we consider external and also internal. So much happens in our lives. But there is within our own nature that which is completely untouched by all of it. This capacity to meet everything that happens and be um, remain balanced and unmoved, very mountain-like, very earth-like, very sky-like, is a quality that we call in the Dharma, uh, it's a quality called equanimity equipoise. And this equipoise, which I think the earth has, the earth has as one of its flavors, complete equanimity, a kind of silent, silent, um, receptive, unmoving, non-reactive quality to it. This is also uh, within the nature of our own minds. And this quality, it turns out, of equanimity 
is the culmination of, it is the pinnacle of um, qualities or qualities of mind that become revealed to us, that awaken in the process of meditation. So that's why I'm talking about it, because it's something you can all recognize. And it's something that can also grow both your recognition, your stabilizing, and just the deepening of this quality of equanimity, even though it is always already your nature. It is its home. Your, your mind's innermost nature has, is unshakable. It, is, it, is, it has never been altered by anything that's ever happened from the time you were born. You've gone through highs, you've gone through lows, and the nature of your mind has remained unmoved. Does this make any sense? So the mind that you could say the knowing mind, not the, the mind that knows this and knows that, but the, the mind that, that, that just the pure knowing, sometimes it's called mahasati or mahaati in the Tibetan tradition, It's just the pure, just the pure knowing. Sound arises is known. Sensations known. That knowing immovable. And it's it's home. It's it's always already here. This is what the the nun, her name was Niguma. She says, don't do anything whatsoever with the mind. Abide in an authentic natural state. So she's talking about the naturalness. It's nature. One's own mind unwavering is reality. The key is to meditate like this without wavering. So it's not to create this unwavering mind. It's to recognize it and get used to it. Experience the great reality beyond extremes. In a pellucid ocean, bubbles rise and dissolve again. Just so, thoughts are no different from ultimate reality. So don't find fault. Remain at ease. Whatever arises... Whatever occurs, don't grasp, release it on the spot. Appearances, sounds, objects are one's own mind. There's nothing except mind. Mind is beyond the extremes of birth and death. The nature of mind, awareness, although using the objects of the five senses, does not wander from reality. In the state of cosmic equilibrium, there is nothing to abandon or practice. No meditation or post-meditation, just this. So she's giving a teaching on the, and pointing to the ultimate nature of the mind. But a funny thing is also true, that those who practice steadying, anchoring their mind in their body, knowing what you're doing, when you're doing it, being mindful, 
tend to be more likely to recognize this natural mind. So even though she says, don't do anything with your mind, it seems only those who do things with their mind recognize this. So that's just a, just a little aside. So this is why, why I speak of this is because I want, to, I want everyone to know just because it's an overflow of my own exuberance, maybe. But I want everyone to know this, that this is always, always already. That, you, that your mind, by its nature, is equanimous, is balanced. That's its, its fundamental nature. So it's not something you have to create. So I don't want this lost in the myriad of methods. There are so many methods you should do this. You should put your mind here. You need to relax your, your mind. You need to relax your body. You need to put your mind on the breath. You need to notice, you need to cultivate loving kindness. You need to cultivate compassion and joy and equanimity. You need to practice wise livelihood. You need to, what else do we need to do? We need to do so many things. It's dizzying. And all those things are wonderful, wonderful practices. But it's very easy to fall into the trap of then overlooking what's always already. So all the practices that we do are offered on behalf of of deepening your recognition of what's always already. Because otherwise our mind is, is, when you see how untrained our mind is, we think my mind has to be perfectly trained before I can recognize, before I can relax, before I can be free. And then our, and then our mind makes all kinds of conditions. I can't be free until I finish my, until I finish my, uh, my degree. I can't be free until, until my body stops hurting. I can't be free until my mind is quiet. Good luck. I can't be free until my partner shows up in my image as I want them to. Yeah, this is funny. I was thinking about somebody today who, who has a, a partner. And the person who I was thinking of is, has done a lot of practice. And they have a lot of equanimity. They have a lot of, they've, they've, and when I say they, they have a lot of equanimity, they've, they've been in touch with, with reality a lot. And if you're in touch with reality, what do you find out? What do you see if you open to reality? If you're, if you're awake and aware, things are reflected very clearly. You see there's nothing that lasts We talk about it all the time here. Anything that arises passes away. You see that it is just a basic law that that from the moment we're born, we're sinking ships. Everything and everyone comes and goes. You see that if if your eyes are open. That's the way nature is. That's the way the earth is. It's constantly transforming, arising, passing, dissolving, re-arising anew. No great mystery. When you experience this directly, it, it, um, it, your mind stops 
fighting with that fact. And you're pretty much, and this is the quality of equanimity, you're in harmony with things the way they are. Even if you are present in your life, you know your mind and the way it works and the, the way each of us is conditioned by past karma, by both non-personal and personal circumstances, we see that no one in this world, if you're awake, you'll see no one in this world can be up to this moment any different than they, than they are. Not one, every person is perfectly the heir, the inheritor of their karmic circumstances, their, their, their what practices they've done, wholesome and unwholesome, what situations they've been uh, innocently a part of, but no one can be anything other than they are. And even those in our lives who we see when we're awake, who are causing themselves harm and others harm, we even see that up to this moment, they cannot help doing what they're doing. Because the forces of ignorance, the forces of greed or hatred or whatever, are more powerful than the forces of wisdom in that person's life. And due to whatever the conditions are, they may, not, they may not end up doing the right thing. That their happiness or their unhappiness is beyond my will, my wish, and my opinion. That's what, and with that comes a certain kind of balance and equanimity. That's what happens when you're awake. So this person who I was thinking of today uh, has a partner who is, uh, who has just by virtue of their unique karmic circumstances, beautiful, beautiful qualities, loving qualities. But one of the qualities that this person does not have is equanimity. Every time that there is some kind of loss in that person's life, or somebody is sick, they completely, somebody who's maybe several steps removed in their, in their line of, of, uh, of sentimental relationships, you know, their maybe third cousin or fourth cousin, if somebody is sick in somewhere, they completely fall apart. And if somebody's dying, the, the world has just ended. And the, for the person who has equanimity in this partnership, they cannot figure out what is going on with this person that they're so histrionic, hysterical, when something so obvious, obviously lawful is going on? And so they get frustrated and frustrated. And so, th- at that, so with this particular quality, this person loses their equanimity. So everybody has their, <laughs> has their place where they lose their equanimity. And it's kind of ironic because it's... it's, it's that quality of, 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 his, of hystericalness, of just being complete lack of equanimity, completely <laughs> shatters the equanimity of the, of the so-called yogi. So we have to, everybody gets humbled one way or the other. So I like the just to float the word equanimity into the conversation about the earth, about our relationships, 
about the state of the world, the political world, the social world. Human beings are not, in general, very developed. We basically live in a world where it's still pretty much governed by, uh, by dominance, by, by the, the attempt, by a both individual and collective attempt to, to uh, dominate, to become top, top dog. To, so there's our whole, our whole economic structure is built that way. There is, the, there is so much about uh, dominance in terms of race, in terms of, you could say, patriarchy, in terms of our attempt to, to dominate nature. We're not very skillful at, um, at finding harmony because we live in the world of ideas, disconnected from, from the earth, disconnected from the heart. And the world is, as one of my favorite teachers, Nisargadatta, put it, the world is the way it is right now because people are the way they are. And as long as people are the way they are, the world will be, continue to be the way it is. So if we, if we want to have a peaceful world, we have to be peaceful people. And if we want to be peaceful people, we have to stop. We have to keep quiet. We have to find, once again, that place of unshakable balance that both sits in the middle of, of all the existing circumstances the way they are, all the craziness, all the oppression, all the insensitivity to the earth, be able to sit in the middle of that with a heart as wide as the world because the... the one of the qualities of equanimity is this, this amazing courage that allows us to keep our heart open uh, when things are out of control. We, every day, I don't know how many of you are, are Huff, Huffington Post readers, but every day on the front page is another article that is just reinforcing, you know, everybody gets their news in different places, but that's one of the places that somehow I end up on. And every day I get another article that reinforces that we are, that, that we are at the tipping point, or that we've even gone beyond the tipping point of the, um, the ravages of climate change and the, pot- the potential complete destabilization of our world as we know it. Now, what do we need in the face of that reality? We don't need to hide away in fear and dullness and you know, turn on the TV and, and distract ourselves. We need to sit right in the middle of it, right where it touches us, feel it, and develop that great heart because it's, it, it, it won't help anything to, uh, to hide away. And I take as my uh, guru a little character 
in the poem written in 1947 by Donald Babcock entitled The Little Duck. I take the little duck as my guru in this regard. This is Little Duck from Donald Babcock. Now we are ready to look at something pretty special. It is a duck riding the ocean a hundred feet beyond the surf. No, it isn't a gull. A gull always has a raucous touch about him. This is some sort of duck, and he cuddles in the swells. He isn't cold, and he's thinking things over. There is a big heaving in the Atlantic, and he is part of it. He looks a bit like a mandarin or the Lord Buddha meditating under the bow tree. But he has hardly enough above the eyes to be a philosopher. He has poise, however, which is what philosophers must have. He can rest while the Atlantic heaves because he rests in the Atlantic. Probably he doesn't know how large the ocean is, and neither do you. But he realizes it. And what does he do, I ask you? He sits down in it. He reposes in the immediate as if it were infinity, which it is. That is religion, and the duck has it. He has made himself part of the boundless by easing himself into it just where it touches him. So unless I sit down, or we sit down, right in the middle of it, and feel the earth, feel our life right where it touches us, I don't think we have the capacity to deal with, with our hysterical partners, which seems easy compared to climate change, inequality, oppression, all everything. How, if we can't deal with our partner, can we deal with the larger issues unless we sit in the middle of it, unless we train day in and day out getting used to this quality in us of, of knowing this and recognize the immortality, the immovability of awareness. Just to reinforce that. That notion of, a, of awareness. This is from Tom Moon, put this together. He's, all, he's led this group several times. He'll be back again this summer. This is his little piece called The Immortality of Awareness. 
Awareness is unlike anything else. It knows itself in a direct and unmediated way. In the experience of self-awareness, the knowing subject, the means of knowing, and the known are the same thing. The knowing subject, awareness, through the medium of awareness, knows awareness. Forget that part. That's not as relevant to what comes next. Well, I'll keep reading. Awareness is non-material. It illuminates the contents of the five senses, but cannot be detected by any of them. Nor can it be weighed, measured, or detected in any way by any scientific equipment. It both follows from the above and is consistent with experience that awareness is non-local. Most people assume that awareness is located in the brain, but a little reflection shows that it's the other way around. The brain and all the other objects of knowledge are in awareness. Since every location can know, every location we can know is known in awareness, it is clear that awareness has no location. Awareness is timeless. It observes the arising and passing of every experience, which means that time passes through it. But awareness itself is always simple presence. It knows the passage of time, but is not itself in time. It subsists in an eternal now. Awareness is not affected by its contents. The awareness of fire is not hot. The awareness of light is no brighter than the awareness of darkness. The awareness of a star is not larger than the awareness of a molecule. The awareness of fear is not itself afraid. The awareness of anger isn't angry. The awareness of suffering does not itself suffer. This is a truth that is of tremendous psychological importance. What it means that for all of us, no matter how much pain or trauma we have experienced, there is a part of us that has never been touched by any of it. That is why experienced meditators often refer to awareness as a secure refuge. Taken together, all the characteristics of awareness show that it must be deathless. Since it is non-material, has no location, is outside of time, is not affected by its contents, there is no conceivable way anything could create, change, or destroy it. The conclusion is that awareness simply is always and forever. I'm not going to say it is always forever. I will say that one of its features, since it is, as he speaks of it, immovable, timeless, it is also uh, equanimous, forever balanced. Now, this doesn't mean because you have within you this capacity of this this primordial equanimity, unshakable balance. It doesn't mean that, uh, that if you have all kinds of reactions to things, it doesn't mean that you don't have equanimity. You still have equanimity. And even if you, even if you have, even if your mind goes through many waves of ups and downs, the cultivation of the quality of equanimity, of, the, of a mind that is less reactive, 
It doesn't, once you, as you develop equanimity, it doesn't mean that you stop having reactions to things. It doesn't mean that you stop feeling. It's not some kind of flat line. It's not some kind of state of dullness. It's very full and alive, embracing. But it knows, the quality of equanimity knows that whatever arises passes away. It knows that things are as they are, whether I like them or not. And so it has a quality of acceptance. It has a quality of, 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 of peacefulness. I got this, I was tested by, um, I've probably told this story many times over the years, but one night, um, just right outside this room here, toward the end of the evening, I put down my shoulder bag, my messenger bag, with 22 years of Dharma talks, sitting in the foyer. And I went to lock some of the doors, and I came back and somebody had stolen it. And I had some, I felt a deep sense of loss. But literally on the heels of that sense of shock and loss was, this is how it is. And I realized that over the years, there's been a little equanimity developed. And I even felt it when my father passed away. And I, fortunately, I had the, I had the good fortune of, of, on Tuesday nights, just kind of sharing what was going on in my process. And I was, from one minute to the next, I was retching and felt a deep sense of loss. But there was, at the same time, this substratum of just utter, utter peace, knowing that this is just the way it is just the way it was. And I know every single person here has that capacity. And it's just a matter of getting to know it, getting used to it, recognizing it, enhancing it when, it, when you notice it. So it's both a quality of mind that can develop, and it is the, the nature of your mind, always already. So I hope everyone here develops a recognition of the primordial equanimity and cultivates all the, the kinds of equanimity that are possible, the equanimity of the states of, of peace and concentration, the equanimity of effort and balance, the equanimity of, of courage and loyalty that, that keeps us in our love relationships, courage that helps us sit with really painful things in our life. All of those kinds of equanimity show up and are a tremendous support in our life. And Boy, do we need it to survive this earth. So, may, uh, may all beings grow in equanimity. May all beings grow in peace. May all beings grow in harmony. I'll leave you with the poem from Rilke called Buddha in Glory. Center of all centers. Almond self-enclosed and growing sweet. All this universe to the furthest stars and beyond them is your flesh, your fruit. Now you feel how nothing clings to you. Your vast shell reaches into endless space. And there the rich, thick fluids rise and flow, illuminated in your infinite peace. 
A billion stars go spinning through the night, blazing high above your head. But in you is the presence that will be when all the stars are dead. So let's sit quietly. Feel the earth. Feel the equanimity of the earth. Right where it touches you. Balanced, non-reactive. Open, receptive. Unshakable. May our practice be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all beings. Thanks for meandering with me, and thanks again to whoever anonymously offered the... the, uh, Donna for an evening at Mission Dharma for Earth Day, and happy Earth Day, everyone. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.